Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is another one of those rare times when we have an episode that checks off all four of the categories in our title, Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. And Santa Claus checks off all four, and a bunch of others as well. Just this past weekend, I had the opportunity to travel north with my son from here in Virginia to a little town in south-central Pennsylvania. And no, it wasn't Bethlehem to pick up a puppy. That part of Pennsylvania, just north of the Maryland border, is a mix of farms and rural communities and old towns like Red Lion, PA, with lots of wooded, twisty old roads and rolling hills. Most of the homes and businesses were all ready for Christmas, and no doubt all the kids were being extra good for Santa. Whenever you travel around Christmas, you find yourself asking, how does the big man do it? How does he cover such a big part of the known world in just a few hours? And of course, the kids have lots of questions too. Hopefully this story will answer a lot of them. As it turns out, Santa Claus, otherwise known as St. Nicholas or Kris Kringle, has a long history steeped in Christmas traditions. Today he is thought of mainly as the jolly man in red who brings toys to good girls and boys on Christmas Eve. But his story stretches all the way back to the 3rd century, when St. Nicholas walked the earth and became the patron saint of children and of sailors. In today's story, we'll talk about the history of Santa Claus from his earliest origins to the street corner Santas of today, and discover how two New Yorkers, Clement Clark Moore and Thomas Nast, were major influences on the Santa Claus that millions of children wait for each Christmas Eve. The legend of Santa Claus can be traced back to around the 3rd century A.D. in what we know to be Turkey today, where a monk named St. Nicholas, according to legend, gave up all his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor and the sick. There are many stories of his kindness, one popular one being the time he saved three poor sisters from being sold into slavery by their father by providing them with a dowry so that they could be married. As the years passed, Nicholas's popularity spread and he became known as the protector of children and sailors. His feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death, December 6th of each year. This was traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases or to get married. By the Renaissance, St. Nicholas was the most popular saint in Europe. Even after the Protestant Reformation, when the veneration of Catholic saints began to be discouraged, St. Nicholas maintained a positive reputation, especially in Holland. 
By the Middle Ages, Nicholas's fame had spread to much of Europe, thanks in part to the dissemination of parts of his skeleton to churches in Italy, where they were venerated as relics. St. Nicholas's popularity eventually spread to northern Europe, where stories of the monk mingled with Teutonic folktales of elves, Norse gods, and sky chariots. In the Netherlands, St. Nicholas took on the Dutch-friendly spelling Sinterklaas, S-I-N-T-E-R-K-L-A-A-S. He was depicted as a tall, white-bearded man in red clerical robes who arrived every December 6th on a boat to leave gifts or coal lumps at children's homes. Stories of Sinterklaas were likely brought here to the New World by Dutch settlers in the Hudson River Valley. In his satirical 1809 History of New York, Washington Irving portrayed St. Nicholas as a portly Dutchman who flew the skies in a wagon, dropping gifts down chimneys. In 1823, another New Yorker, Clement Clark Moore, penned the poem A Visit from St. Nicholas, which traded the wagon for a sleigh drawn by eight tiny reindeer. During the Civil War, cartoonist Thomas Nast published the first of a series of popular depictions of a rotund and jolly St. Nicholas. In 1879, Nast was the first to suggest that St. Nicholas lived not in Turkey, Spain, or Holland, but at the North Pole. Santa was a big deal all over the U.S. in the 19th century, in the days of Little House on the Prairie. So was gift-giving to kids. It was during the early 19th century that Christmas was sort of reinvented. Stores began to advertise Christmas shopping by 1820, and by the 1840s, stores were taking out sections in the local newspapers, which often featured images of the newly popular Man in Red. In 1841, thousands of children visited a Philadelphia shop to see a life-size Santa Claus model. It was only a matter of time before stores began to attract children and their parents with the lure of a peek at a live Santa Claus. In the early 1890s, the Salvation Army needed money to pay for the free Christmas meals they provided to needy families. They began dressing up unemployed men in Santa Claus suits and sending them into the streets of New York to solicit donations. Those familiar Salvation Army Santas have been ringing bells on the street corners of American cities ever since. Most folks call these Santas Santa's Helpers. One of the stories we run every Christmas time on our 1001 Radio Days podcast is Miracle on 34th Street, which first appeared as a movie in 1947 starring a young Natalie Wood in her role as a little girl who believes that the department store Santa she met was really Kris Kringle. Edmund Gwen won an Oscar for that Santa role. We usually play the Lux Radio Theater version of It's a Wonderful Life, and the Lux Radio reprisal stars Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, just like the movie, along with our behind-the-scenes story of that movie with our interview of Carolyn Grimes, who actually played Zuzu Bailey in the movie, the little girl who said every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. We reposted that story and interview this Christmas at 1001 Radio Days, so it's there for your enjoyment. Just follow 1001 Radio Days podcast. Most Christians today probably can't imagine Christmas on any other day than December 25th, but it wasn't always that way. In fact, for the first three centuries of Christianity's existence, Jesus Christ's birth wasn't celebrated at all, at least formally. The religion's most significant holidays were Epiphany on January 6th, which commemorated the arrival of the Magi after Jesus' birth, and Easter, which celebrated Jesus' resurrection. The first official mention of December 25th as a holiday honoring Jesus' birthday appears in an early Roman calendar from A.D. 336, during the reign of Emperor Constantine, who converted pagan Rome to Christianity in those years. But was Jesus really born on December 25th? Probably not. The Bible doesn't mention his exact birthday, and the nativity story contains conflicting clues. 
However, scholars have suggested, and computer models have supported, the theory that the Star of Bethlehem, which led the three wise men to the manger where Christ was born, was actually a rare conjunction of two bright planets, Venus and Jupiter, and that actually did occur, if the computer models are right, on June 17th in the year 2 B.C., very close to the year that we believe Christ was born. The fact that much of the known world has tied Christmas Day with Christ's birth and the spirit of love and giving, and that Christ gave his life for us, all works very well, and provides a powerful reminder from our better angels that loving and giving are human actions that need to take place every day of the year. And who better to give to than the needy and the children? We'll return with more about Santa and Christmas right after these sponsor messages. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now back to our story. In 1822, Clement Clark Moore, an Episcopal minister, wrote a long Christmas poem for his three daughters entitled An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, more popularly known as Twas the Night Before Christmas. Moore's poem, which he was initially hesitant to publish due to the frivolous nature of its subject, is largely responsible for our modern image of Santa Claus as a right jolly old elf with a portly figure and the supernatural ability to ascend a chimney with a mere nod of his head. Although some of Moore's imagery was probably borrowed from other sources, his poem helped popularize the now-familiar image of a Santa Claus who flew from house to house on Christmas Eve in a miniature sleigh led by eight flying reindeer to leave presents for deserving children. An account of a visit from St. Nicholas created a new and immediately popular American icon. In 1881, political cartoonist Thomas Nast drew on Moore's poem to create the first likeness that matches our modern image of Santa Claus. His cartoon, which appeared in Harper's Weekly, depicted Santa as a rotund, cheerful man with a full white beard, holding a sack laden with toys for lucky children over his shoulder. It was Nast who gave Santa his bright red suit trimmed with white fur, his North Pole workshop, elves, and his wife, Mrs. Claus. Well, here we are today, it's 2021, and some of our older kids are majoring in things like quantum physics, and some young minds are asking, okay, just how does Santa manage dropping billions of gifts to believers all around the world in just a 24-hour period? According to some scholars, like Larry Silverman, a professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering at NC State University, Santa exploits the space-time continuum. He says, Santa's magic may go far beyond traveling across 510 million square kilometers to visit hundreds of millions of homes of believing children in just one night. He also says, Santa understands that space stretches. He understands you can stretch time and compress space, and therefore he can, in a sense, 
have six Santa months to deliver the presents. In our reference frame, it appears that he does it in the wink of an eye, and, in fact, there have been sightings of Santa, quick sightings to be sure, and that's in our reference frame, but in Santa's reference frame, he really has six months to do all that. We believe that he uses nanotechnology to grow the Christmas presents under the tree, and really what he's done is he's figured out how to turn what we call irreversible thermodynamic properties into reversible ones, and so he starts with soot, candy, other types of natural materials, he puts them under the tree, and actually grows them in a reverse process to create the presents, wrapping and all. Got that? Easy enough for any sixth grader today. As to how he knows if you've been good, he was given psychic abilities when he was designated to be Santa. That's simple enough. Like how your teacher knows you just passed a note even when her back is turned. And how about Santa's sleigh? Simple. It's equipped with an onboard stealth guidance system like a super-advanced GPS. His reindeer are genetically bred to fly in all weather, balanced on steep rooftops, and they can see in the dark and through the worst of snowstorms. As for chimneys, he was given special powers and doesn't need chimneys. That's simple enough. Lots of kids with no chimneys still get gifts. And he goes by different names all around the world. There are more legends and traditions connected with him than you can fill a ten-gallon stocking with. It was a sort of an angel named Kriskind, or Chris Kringle, who was believed to deliver presents to well-behaved Swiss and German children. Meaning Christ child, Kriskind is an angel-like figure often accompanied by St. Nicholas on his holiday missions. In Scandinavia, a jolly elf named Jolt Tompton was thought to deliver gifts in a sleigh drawn by goats. English legend explains that Father Christmas visits each home on Christmas Eve to fill children's stockings with holiday treats. Père Noël is responsible for filling the shoes of French children. In Italy, there's a story of a woman called La Bafana, a kindly witch who rides a broomstick down the chimneys of Italian homes to deliver toys into the stockings of lucky children. Naughty kids would get a visit from Krampus, who would leave coal in their stockings. And make a note here, Krampus and Grampus are not to be confused. Here in the old U.S. of A., Santa is often depicted as flying from his home to your home on Christmas Eve to deliver toys to children. He flies on his magic sleigh led by his reindeer, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, and Blitzen. And the most famous reindeer of all, Rudolph. Santa enters each home through the chimney, which is why empty Christmas stockings, once empty socks, now often dedicated stockings made for the occasion, are hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there, as Clement Clark Moore wrote in his famous poem. Stockings are obviously filled with candy canes, treats, small toys, and sometimes oranges. Santa Claus and his wife, Mrs. Claus, call the North Pole home, and children write letters to Santa and track Santa's progress around the world on Christmas Eve. You can visit the North Pole in upstate New York, and maybe there are others, but that's the one my family knows about. It's up there north of Lake Placid, the home to Winter Olympics training for many years. Children often leave cookies and milk for Santa and carrots for his reindeer on Christmas Eve. Santa Claus keeps a naughty list and a nice list to determine just who deserves gifts on Christmas morning, and parents often invoke these lists as a way to ensure their children are on their best behavior. The lists are immortalized in the 1934 Christmas song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which goes like this. He's making a list and checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good, for goodness sake. Then there's Rudolph and his pals. 
Rudolph, the most famous reindeer of all, was born over a hundred years after his eight flying counterparts. The red-nosed wonder was the creation of Robert L. May, a copywriter at the Montgomery Ward Department Store. In 1939, May wrote a Christmas-themed story poem to help bring holiday traffic into his store. Using a similar rhyme pattern to Moore's "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," May told the story of Rudolph, a young reindeer who was teased by the other deer because of his large, glowing red nose. But when Christmas Eve turned foggy and Santa worried that he wouldn't be able to deliver gifts that night, the former outcast saved Christmas by leading the sleigh by the light of his red nose. Rudolph's message, that given the opportunity, a liability can be turned into an asset, proved pretty popular. Montgomery Ward sold almost two and a half million copies of the story in 1939. When it was reissued in 1946, the book sold over three and a half million copies. Several years later, one of May's friends, named Johnny Marks, wrote a short song based on Rudolph's story. It was recorded by Gene Autry and sold over two million copies. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by Gene Autry Since then, the story has been translated into 25 languages and been made into a television movie narrated by Burl Ives, which has charmed audiences every year since 1964. Let's cover some of the best-known Christmas traditions, Christmas trees being number one. Decorated trees date back to Germany in the Middle Ages, with German and other European settlers popularizing Christmas trees in America by the early 19th century. A New York woodsman named Mark Carr is credited with opening the first U.S. Christmas tree lot in 1851. A 2019 survey by the American Christmas Tree Association predicted that 77% of U.S. households displayed a Christmas tree in their home. Among the trees on display, an estimated 81% were artificial and 19% were real. I don't know if I believe that one. I would tend to say it's the other way around. The 81% are real and 19% were artificial. But you never know. Then there's the Rockettes. Most people associate them with Christmas. Since 1925, and they were first known as the Missouri Rockets, that iconic dance troupe has been kicking up its heels, officially becoming the Radio City Music Hall Rockettes in 1934. Just so you kids know, the same girls aren't dancing for the Rockettes today. From performing at movie openings to entertaining troops to making TV appearances, they're perhaps best known for their annual Christmas spectacular. And then, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Decades later, it may be hard to imagine that this beloved TV special inspired by Charles Schultz's Peanuts comic strip was first rejected by CBS executives. But when it finally aired on December 9, 1965, almost half of all U.S. TV sets were tuned to the broadcast, and the show went on to win an Emmy, a Peabody, an Enduring Following, and even a trend of a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And network executives still dream of that time when almost half of all U.S. TV sets could be tuned into one show, and there was no cable TV. At least one famous quote came from that movie, and that was Linus saying, I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It's not bad at all, really. Maybe it just needs a little love. And then there's the famous Christmas pickle. Do you have Christmas pickles at your home? If there's a pickle among your snowman, angel, and reindeer ornaments, you're likely taking part in the American tradition of hiding the green ornament on the tree so that the first child to find it wins a gift or gets to open the first present Christmas morning. The practice's oranges are a bit murky but it's likely that it grew from a Woolworths marketing gimmick from the late 1800s when the retailer received imported German ornaments shaped like a pickle and needed a sales pitch. Oh, those creative copywriters. I somehow missed out on this next one all these years. I wonder if your family does this. It's called the Elf on the Shelf. Love it or loathe it, since 2005's 
Moms and dads have either joyously or begrudgingly been hiding a toy elf each night from Thanksgiving to Christmas. More than 13 million elves have been adopted since 2005 when Carol Abersold and her daughter, Chan DeBell, published the book Elf on a Shelf, a Christmas tradition that comes with the toy. Social media has even inspired some parents to set up elaborate scenarios for their elves, as in, he teepeed the tree, or she filled the sink with marshmallows. Then there's the Yule Log. Yule Logs were part of an ancient winter solstice celebration, but it was Americans who turned the wood burning into must-see TV. Back in 1966, WPIX-TV in New York City aired a continuous 17-second loop of a fireplace for three hours along with holiday music. That led to an eventual better production and nearly 20 years of annual viewing. Today you can stream the U-Log on your smart TV or on the web. Then there's the Advent Calendar. Early versions of this tradition started in Germany in 1903 by publisher Gerhard Land, and they offered a way for children to count down to Christmas by opening one door or window every day to reveal a Bible passage, poem, or small gift. We used to have one of those in my house when I grew up. Since gaining mass popularity by 1920, the calendars have evolved to secular calendars that include daily gifts from mini bottles of wine to nail polish to chocolates to action figures. Then there's the gingerbread house. Although Queen Elizabeth I gets credit for the early decorating of gingerbread cookies, once again, it's the Germans who laid claim to starting the gingerbread house tradition. And when the German brothers Grimm wrote Hansel and Gretel, a new holiday tradition was born because the gingerbread house was featured in that story. Today, the edible decorations are available in a slew of pre-packed kits. And we've got that story in our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, Hansel and Gretel. Then there's the Nutcracker. For many, the holiday season is not complete without a trip to watch this ballet. With music by Tchaikovsky and originally choreographed by Marius Petipa, the romantic tale of young Clara's Christmas Eve premiered December 18, 1892 in St. Petersburg, Russia. It was performed for the first time outside of Russia in 1934 in England and made its way to the United States in 1944 when it was performed by the San Francisco Ballet. It became a must-see event in America by the 1960s as performances spread across the nation. And here's an unusual tradition, ugly Christmas sweaters. You can blame our neighbors to the north for this silly, ironic tradition that really gained steam in the 1980s. According to the Ugly Christmas Sweater Party Book, the sweaters became a party trend in Vancouver, Canada in 2001, and the trend is seemingly here to stay. According to Fox Business, the ugly sweater industry is a multi-million dollar business, with websites such as Tipsy Elves, retailers including Macy's, Kohl's, and Target, and even food chains jumping on the ugly bandwagon. Then there's cookies and milk for Santa. While leaving treats for Santa and his reindeer dates back to ancient Norse mythology, Americans began to sweeten up to that tradition during the Great Depression in the 1930s as a sign of showing gratitude during a time of struggle. Then there's candy canes. Whether devoured as a treat or hung on the tree as a decoration, candy canes are the number one selling non-chocolate candy during December, and they date back to 1670 Germany. The red and white peppermint sticks arrived stateside in 1847, when a German-Swedish immigrant in Worcester, Ohio, placed them on a tree. By the 1950s, an automated candy cane making machine was invented, and that cemented their mass appeal forever. And there's eggnog. Nothing makes the holidays happier more quickly than a glass of spiked eggnog. Although the Yuletide cocktail stems from posset, a drink made with hot curdled milk and ale or wine from medieval England, American colonists get credit for making it popular and adding rum. Even George Washington had a special recipe. And then, of course, the eggnog was in the song, 
Grandma got run over by a reindeer, which always deserves at least one play during Christmas time, and someone in the family telling you, don't play that at Grandma's. Then there's door wreaths. Wreaths have been around since ancient Greek and Roman times, but the evergreen Christmas wreath, often adorned with boughs of holly, eventually took on Christian meaning, with the circular shape representing eternal life and the holly leaves and berries symbolic of Christ's crown of thorns and blood. According to the New York Times, today's wreaths are most often seen as a secular winter tradition. And, of course, Christmas cards. The first official Christmas card debuted in 1843 in England with the simple message, A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. The idea of a mailed winter holiday greeting gradually caught on in both Britain and the U.S. with the Kansas City-based Hall Brothers, now Hallmark, creating a folded card with an envelope in 1915. Today, according to the Greeting Card Association, more than 1.6 billion holiday cards are sold annually. And last but not least, Christmas movies. And here's the top 24. Check and see how many of these you've seen. A Christmas Story, 1983. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with Burl Ives in 1964. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, 1989. Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 1966. Elf, in 2003. A Charlie Brown Christmas, 1965. The Holiday, 2006. Home Alone, 1990. It's a Wonderful Life, 1946. Scrooged, 1988. Miracle on 34th Street, 1947. Love Actually, in 2003. The Muppet Christmas Carol, in 1992. Die Hard, in 1988. The Nightmare Before Christmas, 1993. The Family Stone, in 2005. Bad Santa, in 2003. Meet Me in St. Louis, 1944, The Polar Express, 2004, Fred Claus, 2007, Christmas with the Cranks, in 2004, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, 2001, Jingle All the Way, in 1996, and Prancer, in 1989. Some of those are my favorites. Hope they're your favorites as well. Thus ends today's story, How Santa Claus Came to Be, and The Legends of Christmas. Join us next week, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for another episode of 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. And don't forget to catch up with some of our other great podcasts as well, many of which have come a long way fast this year in terms of popularity, one of those being 1001 Sherlock Holmes stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre, 1001 Greatest Love Stories, where I highly recommend you give the story Marie, by H. Ryder Hagger to try. 1001 Stories for the Road, where we're currently reading the third Tarzan adventure. And 1001 Radio Days. Until next Sunday night, everyone, have a very Merry Christmas and a safe and blessed holiday season. It's been a joy to be able to share stories with you all year long, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Take care, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.